Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message in our current series called How to Pray. Let's take a listen. We've been walking through the Lord's Prayer for the last several weeks, and and I wish I could say that today was a, a high energy part of the prayer, but today is probably the toughest part of the Lord's Prayer that you as a follower of Christ will ever have to pray. And so what we're gonna look at this morning is, is this biggest battle of prayer? You know, up to this point, what we looked at last week was all about a prayer of surrender. And when we pray as to surrender as followers of Christ, we all know that's tough because a prayer of surrenders means that we're relinquishing control. We're saying, God, I'm not in control of this and God, I am trying to trust you in this. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to pray this way. He wanted them to pray a heart of surrender. He wanted them to pray relinquishing all of their control. He wanted them to let go and just trust him. He wanted them to let go and just just to trust him. And that is the very reason that Jesus has been teaching them to pray this way thus far. So I want you to turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, I'm gonna try to talk really fast today because I know a lot of you are tired. I know some of the adults, you can only imagine your couch right now and that's where you're trying to get. So we're gonna try to honor that. God and amen, that's probably the only one I'll get, Jason. (laughs) I knew it was him too, I didn't even have to look up. But in Matthew chapter six, I want you to read with me in verses just nine and 10. Jesus is telling the people, he says, pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, and that's what we pray right now. Our Father, you are in heaven and God, we know that you are our provider. You are salvation. You are resurrection. You are our protector. You're our sustainer. And God, today, because of who you are, We surrender our will to yours. God, even when we don't want to. So give us the strength to do that today. And we ask this in your name, amen. You see the very first way he tells them here is you pray this way is he addressed the relationship. We declare that he is father. We acknowledge that he is the father and we know that the father is gonna take care of his children. But then he goes in and he tells them to remind themselves of who God is. You see, when we begin to pray, we say, hallowed be your name. We are saying the names of Jesus, not so that we're reminding him of who he is, but we're reminding ourselves of who he is. And when we surrender to him as father, when we acknowledge who he is, it prepares our hearts to pray for his kingdom to come. And now what we're gonna look at today is for his will to be done. For his will to be done, when we pray that, what you have to see today is that that births a battle. When we pray for your will to be done, that is the birth of a battle. And that battle is between our flesh and God's will. 
That is a battle between our will versus his will. Because here's a newsflash. You do know that in your journey with Christ, when you follow him, when you take up your cross students and you follow him, there's gonna be times in your life where your desire and your want to is not gonna line up with his. There's going to be times in your life when God will give direction, when God will convict, when God will instruct that will completely go against what your flesh wants. And so when we surrender to that, we are entering a battle of our will versus his will. But we have to surrender to that. I think about my deacon, my five-year-old daughter. You talk about stubborn, just like her mama. I should have got an amen in that one from somebody. But when I direct deacon's path, When I tell her this is what she needs to do or she attempts to do something and I correct her, she responds like a lot of us respond. Number one, she won't make eye contact with me. She doesn't love me anymore. She crosses her arms, she flops in the floor and she pouts. But you know what? That is exactly how we treat God. We will let him know what our will is. We will let him know what our desires are. We will let him know what our flesh wants. And when he doesn't do what we want, we pout. We get mad at God. We don't like to talk to him. We don't like to look in his word. We don't like to pray. We don't like to sing because we think that it's just gonna get back at him if we pout. Because you see, we as human beings are stubborn people. We're stubborn people, but as a father, the reason that I direct Deacon's steps, the reason that I tell her is because as her father, I see what's coming. I see the danger that awaits. I see the the pitfalls that I know are in front of her, but because of my love for her, I direct her so that she doesn't fall into those, even though it's against her will. But daddy sees what's coming. You see, remember we declared him as father, We said, Father in heaven. And so in that, are we acknowledging that God's ways are higher and better than our ways? Are we surrendering to that? Are we surrendering that his way is best? You see, with Deacon, with my daughter, it's the battle of what she wants versus what daddy knows. You see, our flesh against God's will is a battle of what we want versus what God knows. But what we have to do as a follower of Christ is surrender to what God knows and what we may not know. And look, I know that we all do this. I could probably have you raise your hand right now and say, how many of you are praying for something right now? You would all raise your hand. How many of you are pleading with God for something to happen right now, something in particular? Hands would go up all over the room. And some of us are not to the place where we can say, God, here's what I want. But God, you know what? My way is the only way. And unless you do what I want, then I'm gonna pout. I'm gonna be mad at you. I'm gonna be frustrated. But what we have to do today is, again, students, this is part of taking up your cross. And so what we see is we're gonna see an example of this in scripture today. I want you to turn to to chapter 26 of the same gospel of Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 26. And what we're gonna see, this is a character in the Bible that we're probably all familiar with. His name's Jesus. And what we're gonna recognize today is that while being fully God, he is still fully 100% man. And look, I'm not here to try to describe that. I'm not here to try to explain that. I don't fully understand it. I don't fully understand how a man can be 100% man, but yet be 100% God, meaning that he is all knowing, that he is all powerful. And so we're not here to look at that today, but what we're gonna do is look at the fleshly side of Jesus. We're gonna look at this battle that Jesus is about to enter into. I want you to look at verses 36. We're gonna read all the way through 46, but we're gonna kind of do it slowly. We're not gonna do it all at one time. So read with me in verse 36 of chapter 26. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. The first thing that we notice as soon as Jesus entered into a posture of prayer, the Bible says that he was grieved. That he was grieved. That he was deeply grieved and distressed. You see, the reason that he was deeply grieved and distressed is because this was the birthing of the battle. This was the beginning of the battle between Jesus as a fleshly man and submitting to the authority of God's will. And so we see that this battle has already begun, but we know that being grieved, all of us has grieved. And so it's no different in the context of what Jesus was experiencing. Him being grieved meant that he was very sad or even exceedingly sorrowful. You see, there's two reasons that he was, he was grieving. You see him being all-knowing God while being 100% man, Jesus knew what he was about to enter into. Jesus knew that his physical body was about to be beat beyond recognition. Jesus knew that he was about to be hung on a cross and be murdered in front of the very people that he loved. And might I add, he was naked. So he knew all of this was coming. He knew it, so it grieved his spirit. But you see, what grieved him even more so than what his physical body was about to experience was the fact that for a moment in time, Jesus, the son of God, his relationship to his father was about to be severed. His relationship to his heavenly father was about to be cut off. Because you gotta keep in mind for his entire life, he has walked hand in hand. He has walked in perfect harmony with his father. And now it's about to be cut off. Because we've all read in the scriptures when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Meaning that the relationship was severed. This perfect harmony that he had experienced his whole walk of life was over, was done in that moment of time as he hung on the cross. And so what we see next is about what Jesus is about to go in prayer about. Praying because he's grieving, because Number one, he's about to die, but number two, his relationship with his father is about to be severed. Keep looking at the prayer. Verse 39, 
And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, the first thing that we notice is what did Jesus do when he went into the garden? It said that he fell on his face. You see, this was a posture of humility. This was understanding that he was 100% man in this moment because he was submitting to the authority of God. He was humbling himself under the hand of God and saying, God, I am surrendering to you. And he fell on his face before God, acknowledging him as father, but then he began to plead. Then he began to beg, let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. And if you remember, as we said just a moment ago, for 33 years, Jesus has walked in the love of his father. And so this cup that he's talking about wanting to pass was he was about to experience the wrath of God. He was about to experience the wrath of his father all the while being innocent. Because you see the wrath of God is in punishment for sin. But Jesus being the spotless lamb of God in perfection was about to experience what all of us deserved. And that is the wrath of God. That's the wrath of the father. And that is what leads to death. But then he goes on to tell them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see students, I want you to look at me right now. Right now this weekend, there's something in you that maybe you've never even felt. Maybe you don't even understand what's going on. But I can tell you right now, especially for those that have surrendered your life to Christ, that is the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And as you go to your school tomorrow, the Spirit's gonna be willing. But I wanna let you know, that flesh is still gonna be weak. And guess who knows that? The enemy himself knows that. And so as you pray tomorrow, as you get ready to go back into the hallways of your school, you go ahead and tell God, God, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Because what we realize, he is your strength. Don't pray that he gives you the strength. You lock arms to your strength. You hold on to that father who is your courage. And so that's what Jesus is wanting the disciples to understand. He's speaking from experience. He's saying, look, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is still weak. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is still weak. And when our flesh is weak, that's a lot of times when we wanna to surrender to our own will instead of the heavenly father's will instead of our Father who is in heaven. Keep reading with me in verse 42 through 46. It said, he went away again a second time and he prayed saying, my Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. 
All the teenagers in the room said, amen. And he left them again and he went away and he prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. You see three different times Jesus pleads with the father. Three different times he is begging his heavenly father for something to happen. Three different times he is letting God know what his fleshly desire is. I would ask you the question this morning, how many of us have pleaded with God for something to happen? How many of us have begged God for something to happen? Maybe you've prayed, God, I know this is the job for me. God, I'm begging you to give me this job. How many of you have had a sick loved one and you have prayed, God, I know you're the healer. So God, I am begging you to heal my loved one. I am begging you to heal this person. I'm begging you for a miraculous move. Or maybe teenager, you've prayed, make that boy or that girl like me. <laughs> and you've pleaded many, many sleepless nights for that one person just to recognize you or to like your picture on Instagram. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> That's what that means, isn't it? It's a heart for a reason, right? That's what it is. But how many times have we begged and we've pleaded to the point of just where we're miserable, where we're honestly tired of talking to God about the same thing. You see, this is what Jesus has done three different times. He has begged, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't wanna die. God, I don't wanna be forever separated from you. Or not forever. We know that that's not forever, so it's coming. But what we wanna know is that this is not what Jesus' flesh wanted. And he pleaded. And we can all say that we've pleaded with God, but I can guarantee you that none of us have ever pleaded with the intensity that Jesus pleaded with. Don't turn there, but in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, I won't read it, but we, we read there that, that he was praying with such intensity. It said that he prayed fervently until his sweat became as blood. Now I know we read that and we think, well, that's just kind of a Jesus thing. That's just something supernatural. That's just something that really just took place in Jesus's day. But what we find out is that the idea of sweating blood is actually a clinical phenomenon. It is something that takes place. It's something that happens. And you know what? I've heard before that it happens to people who drowned because they are underwater, they are trapped and they begin to cry, they begin to scream, they begin to plead to the point of what happened in Jesus's heart, they would call hematohydrosis. I know I butchered that, but yeah, anyway. But it says that it is a condition in which the capillary vessels that feed sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. Listen to this, occurring under condition of extreme and physical, emotional stress. How many of us have ever prayed that hard? How many of us have ever pleaded with God to the extent that our blood vessels begin to burst and we begin to sweat drops of blood? 
I don't think any of us can ever say that we have prayed that hard for something. But you gotta see, Jesus was fully man and he knew what he was about to face. And he was fervently praying because his desire was so strong that he didn't want to die the death that he was about to die. And he didn't wanna be separated from his father. And so he begged in such a way that he bled. But in all three times that he prayed, all three of these requests, they ended with, but if there's no other way, there's no other way your will be done. Your will be done. And you know what I love about Jesus? Jesus is never going to ask you as a follower. He's never gonna ask you as a believer to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. That is the, the, the picture perfect of leadership. A true leader is never gonna ask somebody to do what they're not willing to do themselves. And so when Jesus says, your will be done, pray your will be done, he's telling us that because that's the very thing he prayed. He prayed your will be done. He surrendered to what his will was. And this is why he's teaching them. This is how you pray. You pray like I did. You pray like I did it. We can yearn for one thing, but at the end of the day, we've got to trust God's way. We've got to trust what God's directing and what God is doing. You see, when we pray your will be done, it's not for God to align his heart with ours. But when we pray your will be done, it's that our heart aligns with his. But you see, we've got it mixed up. We think that it's God's job to align his desires and his heart with ours. But as a follower of Christ with that heart of surrender, we're aligning our hearts with his. That's what we're asking him to do. But you see, um, not only did Jesus call him father, but Jesus trusted him as father. And this is why he was able to say, your will be done. But you see what Jesus knew here again, it goes back to that him being fully man and fully God. He knew that what his death was going to bring. He knew what his resurrection was going to bring. He knew that his death, his burial and his resurrection was how the kingdom would come. He knew that this is how salvation would come to the people who were separated from God. And so he knew to submit to that because his heart's desire was to see the kingdom come. He wanted to see salvation come. And Jesus surrendered to that because he knew his father's heart for the people and that was to love them. And he knew that his father's heart was to bring salvation to the people who had been separated because you all realize that when you were born into this world, you were born a sinful human being. And because of the sin in your life, because of sin, it can't be with holiness, it can't be with righteousness. And at the moment of your sin, you are severed from a relationship with God. But God loving us, he wanted to restore that relationship. He wanted us to be brought back in harmony with this heavenly father, with him. 
And so because of that, he sent his son to die for you so the wrath of God would be poured out on his son so the wrath wouldn't be poured out on you, so the wrath wouldn't be poured out on me. And when we trust that plan, when we trust him for this salvation, in the moment of your surrender, in the moment of your surrender, you are reconciled back to God. You are made one with the Father. And what is so mind-blowing is there's students right here. And we prayed for you last week. And I remember us praying on Wednesday. We prayed for you while you were in your hallways. We said, God, they're in their hallways right now. And there's some of them that are walking up and down the hallways that don't have a relationship with you. But God, we wanna go ahead and celebrate that after Saturday night, these students are gonna be reconciled back to you. And that is because of their faith in who Jesus is. Not because you put together a behavior modification last night, but because you surrendered to the Savior. You surrendered to the one who gave his all for you. You surrender to the one who prayed that the Father's will would be done. You see, the Father's will, we can read that and you don't have to turn there. I'll read them real quick. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses three and four, Paul writes, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That's God's heart, is that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is the very reason he sent his son Jesus, is so that all of you could know this truth. So all of you could experience this relationship with the Father. Then we look in 2 Peter 3, 9, something very similar. 2 Peter 3, 9, we read here, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance for all to come to repentance. You see, Jesus knew the Father's heart. Jesus knew that his Father wanted to save. Jesus knew that his Father wanted to restore. And Jesus said, I surrender. I want you to use me to restore that. I want you to use me to bring salvation to those who don't know you. And I'm willing to have your wrath poured out on me because I know how much you love your children. You see, Jesus was that living sacrifice. Jesus was the living sacrifice. And you know, last night when, when Dan challenged all of you to take up your cross, you understand that is doing exactly what Jesus did. That's offering up yourself as a living sacrifice. And Paul challenges us that in, in the book of Romans. I want you to turn there right quick. And this is where we're getting ready to end. I told y'all it was gonna be quick today. Romans chapter 12. Paul is challenging the believers to be a living sacrifice. He's challenging the people to be what Jesus was. And so I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. He says, therefore, I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. You understand that when you are walking as a living sacrifice, when you are fully surrendered and submitted to his authority, God is using you to prove his will. Man, how humbling is that? When we surrender to that, God is using us to present his will. And we know that his will is to save all. But God wants to use you in that. But he says, it proves the will of God that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, when he tells us there to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, it's not just talking about our physical body. It's talking about our entire being. It's talking about all that we are. It's talking about everything that is in us. And that does include your will. It does include your wants. It does include your desires. But you know what? Every time we beg God to do something and he does it, man, it's easy to worship. How many times have you begged God to save someone and he did? How many times have you begged God to heal someone and he did? How many times have you begged God that that boy or that girl liked you on Instagram and he did it? Man, it's easy to worship. It's easy to walk in here saying, man, God is doing what I'm asking. God has given me what I want. God is hearing my prayers. But will we still worship when his will is not what our will is? It's not so easy to worship then. It's not so easy to worship when things don't turn out the way that we think they should or the way that we want them to turn out. But you see the way he used Jesus He used Jesus when Jesus' flesh was going against God's will. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That was his flesh. But when Jesus surrendered and said, not my will, but your will be done, God used that surrendered heart. God used that living sacrifice But the question is, will we surrender to the point that we want God to use us even when our will doesn't line up with his? Now look, I know that this is the toughest prayer for us to pray. I know that this is a rough topic. But you see, just like I was telling you about Deacon earlier, We have our will, we have what we want. But the reason that God orchestrates his plan is because he sees what's coming. He sees out in front, he sees what we can't. And that's where our faith comes in. We're called to step out on what we can't see. And that's the hardest thing as a follower of Christ. But this is a prayer of surrender. You know, I met with a family this week 
but they're walking through a very, very tough season with one of their children. And they're begging God. God, heal. God, give us answers. And so as we sat and we listened to this mom and this dad pour out their heart, the next thing that was said absolutely set me back because the mom said, but you know what? In the process, I'm begging God to use me. Even if he doesn't do what I want him to do, I'm asking for him to use me. Church, that's a living sacrifice. See, I pray the very same thing for my son. As a father, it's the hardest thing I've ever prayed in my life. Because we didn't know if Brock was gonna make it or not. And I remember God wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. I'd been praying for a month and a half for God to heal him and he hadn't done it. I was mad at God. I was upset with God. But in that moment of being at Children's Healthcare in Atlanta, God broke me. And he said, do you trust me? And I remember as a dad, I prayed something that I don't wish on anybody to pray. I said, God, I love my son with everything that's in me. But God, you love him more. And God, if you want to take him, you take him. Not my will, but your will be done. And you've all heard him, Brock's still here. But I also had a conversation with a dad just a moment ago in the hallway. And this dad came up to me and he said, Brian, he said, today was tough. I said, why was it tough? He said, I've got a son in prison. And he said, and if he does his time, and with tears rolling down his face, he said, I'll never see my son again. And he said, but I've talked to the jailer, if you would, where my son's in prison. And he said, every time I talk to him, the jailer tells me, there's people going to heaven because of your son. Because he's in the prison sharing the gospel. And this man stood back there in the back and he said, you know what? I've got to be okay with never seeing him again. Because his kingdom is still coming. Because of my son. Church, that's tough. Church, that's tough. Teenager, I know right now you're, there's things in your life that you're begging God to do. I remember being your age and begging God to do things. I remember begging God to heal my daddy of alcoholism. I remember 
fervently praying. I remember a lot of nights crying. I remember a lot of days laying out in the altar of a church, begging God to heal my dad. And for many, 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 many years, he didn't. And I remember getting so mad at God. Number one, he wasn't healing my dad the way that I wanted him to do. But number two, my dream was to play college basketball. No short jokes, please. (laughs) And I had signed a full scholarship to Presbyterian College to play. And I remember the day that they were gonna announce it. I got an unsettling feeling in my heart and I said, God, I don't know what this is about. And I prayed, believe it or not, in Union Baptist Church over here on Union Church Road with Lowell Whitmire, my youth pastor. And we prayed. And God very clearly told me to stay at home with my family. I'd love to say that I got up praising God. No, I got up mad at God. I said, God, this is what I want. I've worked my whole life for this and now I can't. And I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. I was mad. I was frustrated. But then you fast forward just a couple of months. And I was down at Jekyll Island at a youth conference called Super Wow. Some of you have probably been to Super Wow. Don't raise your hand because it'll show your age. But my youth pastor began to tell those about my story, about being obedient even when I didn't want to be. And so they asked me that day, they said, Brian, would you share your testimony in front of your seminar class? I said, why not? I've never talked in front of anybody. So I'm thinking seminar class, there'll be 25, 30 teenagers in there. I can do that. They kept me behind the curtain for a reason because the moment I stepped out on the stage, I stood in front of 600 teenagers and I began to share my story. Still not understanding why. Still mad at God. But in the moment I shared that, they opened up the floor for people to come and and talk to me. And I remember standing on that stage with tears rolling down my face because I looked And around that auditorium was a line of teenagers waiting to talk to me because they were walking through what I had walked through. They had begged God for miracles and God wasn't doing it. They had begged God to move and God wasn't moving. And in that moment, I realized, God, not my will, but your will be done. You know, I know there's people in here right now that you're praying and you're begging God for something. Maybe you're praying that God heals somebody. Maybe you're praying that God restores a relationship. I don't know what you're begging God for today. Keep on begging him. Keep on begging him. But not your will 
but his will be done. Because you see the storm that we're walking through, God will use it. The storm that Jesus walked through, are we not thankful that God used it? Because he prayed that he didn't have to carry the cross. He prayed that he didn't have to drink of the cup of God's wrath. But aren't we all thankful that he did? Because without it, there is no salvation. Without it, there is no hope. But what if somebody else's hope depended upon your obedience? Not saying that it does, but what if it did? Are you willing to surrender today? Are you willing to say, not my will, but your will be done? Are you willing to say, God, use me? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.